Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John Butler speaks from the subject of the numbing down of the church. And now, here is today's broadcast. I'm not sure that I have been this, um, I don't know what you call whatever it is I'm experiencing, nervous, anxious, whatever, about a message as I am this one today. It is the one that you, it is one that I don't want to preach, but I can't not preach it. How about that? Did I mangle the English language enough for you to understand me there? Good. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 38 says this, Teacher, the the, the Pharisees, I believe, might have been the Sadducees, asking Jesus, and they, they said, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? This was Jesus's response. You must love the Lord your God. I want you to, don't don't just run through this because you've heard it before. Look at every word. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Father, thank you that we get to read your word in public without fear of reprisal. I pray, God, that we take full advantage of that today. Lord, I pray today that you would uh, honor the reading and and the preaching of your word with your Holy Spirit, with your power. Lord, with the the confirmation of your spirit. As deep cries out to deep today, I pray, Lord, that that you would confirm in us that this is your word for us today. I thank you for the opportunity to speak your truth. And Lord, I just pray that you would help all of us, all of us, Lord, to be transformed, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind with your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this is probably going to be the most wide-reaching message that I've ever preached. I I try to keep things narrowed down, try try to make sense out of things by preaching series or, or, or things like that, so we don't cover too much ground all at one time. Uh, but I don't think that's going to be possible uh, with this topic. And, but though it is wide-reaching, it's bound together by really a single concept. And the concept is very simple. Its implications, though, are not only wide, they are also deep. If you understand and put into practice this thing, this one thing that I'm about to share with you, then I believe that it will transform your life. Listen, if you are stuck spiritually, this will help you get unstuck. If you have been longing for something more, searching for something with, with, for, for meaning in, in, in the things that you're doing for the Lord, then this will, I believe, unlock a, a, a well of significance and impact. A few weeks ago, I was working uh, at our house, and, and I was sitting at my table when this really sort of began to unfold for me. And I would love to give you a bunch of qualifications and, and try to, uh, you know, just because of my personality, but I'm just going to preach it the way I got it, okay? And, and then you and God will just have to figure it out from there, like I've been doing, okay? So I mentioned this a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, I think in the 11 o'clock service, but today I want to try to communicate to you what God's really sort of been eating me up with for the last few weeks. 
And I know you're just getting it for the first time. And so I'm going to try to throttle it back and make sure everybody stays with me. But, but if you've ever listened to me preach, or, or if you haven't, if this is your first time here, I, I just, please listen to this message. There's a lot of people in our country that are concerned with the state of public education. I was a teacher and administrator for 10 years. I've, been, I've heard it all before. Okay, they're worried about, they say the students are not the best and brightest in the world like they should be or like they used to be. They're concerned about the dumbing down of, of America. Have you heard that? The dumbing down of America. The same is said of church. Critics say that the, our, most of our churches only serve inspirational fluff. They never really get to the meat of the word. They're concerned about the dumbing down of the church. And I think there's merit there. I think there's, there's reason, cause for concern. But today, something else is, is more concerning to me than, than the dumbing down of the church. I'm actually more concerned with the numbing down of the church. The numbing down of the church. I believe we're numb in the American church. Walled off emotionally. We, we've built such walls around ourselves that, that sometimes we don't even let God move us deeply. We clap, we smile, we joke. Sometimes we might lift a hand, we might even shed a tear or two. But all of that happens at surface level, or at least it can. As a matter of fact, sometimes we can use those more shallow expressions of emotion to deflect the fact that we're not actually being stirred in the level of our souls. That nothing deep is happening on the inside. Nothing significant is moving and changing in us. Well, how do you know that, John? Because we're not changing. We're not changing. When something happens at a deep level, it's like an earthquake in your life. It's a realignment of the tectonic plates of our lives. They shift and they move and they bump up against each other and some things get propelled higher and some things fall away. Everything gets shifted and shaken. But by and large with the body of Christ in the American church, that's just not happening. We've settled for shallow emotions or, or for lifeless appeals to logic. And the result is some behavior modification. We're kinder. We're more polite. We're maybe less abrasive. We look more spiritual. But the reality is, for too many of us, nothing significant has changed on the inside. And it's affecting every part of our lives. Where's our passion? Where are our emotions? Where are the expressions of righteous indignation that's repulsed by sin and false doctrine? Why, can't, why is it that we can talk about lost souls? 24,000 people in, just in our county who don't attend church more than once a month, if at all. Why can we talk about that with our eyes still dry? Why can we pray and use a thousand words of eloquence but no words that reflect the emotional connection that prayer should be in our lives. Why can we look at pictures of missions work and have only an academic interest in it, but no emotional connection? Why can we come before God and worship and never feel that the need to repent for the sin that we may have been living in all week? Why can we hear the truth Sunday after Sunday, and never be moved to do anything different in our lives. 
That's what I'm concerned about today, the numbing down of the church. Let me show you John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. This was at the beginning of his ministry. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip, not a strongly worded email. He made a whip from some ropes and chased them out of the temple. He drove out the cattle and the sheep, scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor, turned over the tables, and then going over to the people who sold the doves, he said, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace! Exclamation point. Then his disciples, who were a little confused, remembered this prophecy from Scripture. Look at this. Passion for God's house will consume me. Passion for God's house will consume me. Where is our passion for the house of God? I'm not talking about for the upkeep. I'm not talking about the paint and the furniture. I'm not talking about all of that. Where's our passion for the house of God? For its integrity, for its purpose. Where is that kind of fire in our lives that Jesus had in His? Romans chapter 9, I want you to see this. With Christ as my witness, Paul's writing this to the Romans. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. Is Paul honest about what he's about to say? Does he mean what he's about to say? My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Look at this. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Paul was so passionate about people, his people, that he said, while under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, while writing the Bible, that he was willing to go to hell if it would save his countrymen. Now, Paul knows that's not how that works. But the feeling was there. The passion was there. He was neither lying nor exaggerating because you can't do that when you write the Bible. Where is that kind of compassion and self-sacrifice in us? Where's our burden for souls? Where's our burden for anything? Look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, Nehemiah sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Now look at the result of that in chapter 2. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick. You must be deeply troubled. And then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. The gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah was so burdened about the condition of Jerusalem that he fasted and prayed and talked to the king about it. 
When's the last time we got burdened about anything to the point that we fasted and prayed? I'm not talking about uh, 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 being upset about a situation that we're in. I'm not talking about being in trouble and we go crying to God. I'm talking about a burden that people can notice on us. I mean a spiritual burden about a situation that causes us to fall on our knees and passionately pour out our hearts to God. It's the numbing down of the church that I'm concerned about. When's the last time we prayed passionately about anything? Prayer, unfortunately, has become only a spiritual discipline. Something we have to do. Something we need to do. And listen, sometimes, I understand, sometimes it's dry, sometimes it's routine, and and you do need to make it a spiritual discipline in your life, and I get all that. But when is the last time we really put our hearts into it? When's When's the last time that something really moved us to the point that we cried out to God from some other place other than our brains or our prayer list? James said effective prayer is fervent prayer. I mean, just passionate. It comes from a deep, sincere place, not a shallow, routine place. I'm afraid our prayers are numb as well. In the Old Testament, when Jonah got spit out of the great fish and finally preached the message that God sent him to preach, the people of Nineveh wept and mourned and tore their clothes and they sat in sackcloth and ashes repenting for their sins not israel not the people of god the heathen people in the capital of the assyrian empire where is the true repentance that the word of god calls us to where is our godly sorrow We tell people about the gospel and we invite them to be saved. But where are the people who are weeping over the way they've offended God with the sin in their lives? Where are the people who are sickened by their own disobedience? People are talking about the need for another great awakening in our land. And we need one, for sure. A spiritual renewal. Revival, repentance. Listen, do you realize that that when Jonathan Edwards preached, people fell off their pews trembling in the fear of God. People would would scream and run to the front and throw themselves in the altar because they realized that their lives were full of sin and they were standing before a holy God. You will never reach a place of repentance in your life until you're disgusted by the stench of your own sin. And that only happens at a deep, emotionally honest place in our lives. But we never get there if we're numb. So why why are our altar calls so quiet, so fast? Because people are often only working out the thoughts of repentance, but never dealing with the power of it, the emotion of it. Listen, repentance requires a change of mind that's far more than academic. It's a change that starts down deep and then works its way to the surface. 
We fuss and fight about once saved, always saved. How much sin can a person keep in their lives after they've gotten saved, before they're not saved? And all kinds of crazy mess. We're wasting our time with that conversation. Let's start talking about what it means to really get saved in the first place. Let's start talking about true repentance, true sorrow over our sin, a true change of heart and mind and soul. That's when old things pass away and all things become new. Not signing the card, not shaking the preacher's hand, not praying a 12-second prayer. Maybe this explains the transformation gap between American salvations and biblical ones. See, in America, we... Our, our salvations are too often just sort of some sort of mental agreement with the Word of God, with the truth of God's Word. Like, yep, I can, yeah, I can see that. I can believe that. Biblical salvations start with godly sorrow that works its way throughout the entire person. It doesn't just change a mind. It changes a life. It changes everything. Believing is not just an academic exercise. It has to change you in your soul, in your mind, your will, and your emotions. Listen, I'm not saying that we need to only appeal to emotion. You know me better than that. That's a ditch on the other side of the same road. And it's just as fruitless and pointless and powerless as the road we're walking. I'm simply saying that the Word of God should do something to us Logically, and academically, and spiritually, and emotionally. And if we wall that part of ourselves off from the move of God, we'll never be who God wants us to be. Jesus said the person who found the lost sheep, and the lost coin, and the lost son, the prodigal son, all of them threw a party to celebrate they were so excited about what they'd found what they lost. When's the last time we really rejoiced in the Lord for anything? When have we celebrated our own salvation, much less somebody else's? I mean, really down deep, have an appreciation for the grace of God that's been extended to us and, and to everybody else. And that doesn't happen in our heads happens in our hearts if you have heard me preach before you're probably thinking john like when's point number one coming you know when do we get to like one two and three there's not any of that there's only one point today one point the enemy is perpetrating a great deception and it's resulting in the numbing down of the church that's the only point Listen, you can't have a fulfilling, effective relationship with God if it's all academic. You can't. This is a relationship. It's, it's not a business contract. It's not a subject to study. It's a relationship. If you've allowed your emotions to get numb, then you're cutting off a significant part of the relationship. God is an emotional, passionate, zealous, jealous God. 
And you'll never understand Him if you don't learn to have an emotional connection to Him and to His Word and to His voice and to His priorities. You say, John, I, I don't believe you. You need to show it to me in the Word. I already have. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. That's everything about you, including the deepest places of your heart and soul. That's the place where your deepest emotions live, your passion. A place that many of us never let anybody in. What's wrong with marriage in America today? Maybe this is it. What's wrong with our institutions? Maybe this is it. We don't let anybody in, not even God. Listen, intimacy requires emotional honesty. You can live with your spouse for 60 years. Do everything that you're supposed to do. Be faithful, be good, be kind, be all of those things. Take care of every need. But if you're not emotionally honest with that person, if there's no emotional connection, then if you pull each of you to the side and and make you tell the the bare-bones honest truth, you're going to say, my marriage has been unfulfilling. Because there's no intimacy, there's no emotional honesty. Intimacy requires emotional honesty at every level. Why are our worship services so frequently quiet and passionless? The Bible says, Lord help me, the Bible says to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who mourn. But in the American church, we've chosen to just try to silence all of them. The man who got healed in the book of Acts chapter 3 went running and leaping and praising God right into the temple. If that happened in American churches today, he'd get escorted out before he got to the middle of the aisle. Listen, I know there's a time and a place for everything. I, I got that. I understand decent and in order. But too many times, in response to the presence of God, the manifested presence of God, I'm talking about He is here with us. Too many times we've stood in an irreverent silence. Dishonoring the God who created us and gave us breath in our lungs and words in our mouths, but we refuse to use them to express anything that might expose the deepest places in our hearts. I've seen it for years in this church. We get to a point in worship. And this is, I've been here 20 years. Look, you can't tell me nothing about this church that I don't know. I've led worship. I've been the pastor. I've, done, I've, I've cleaned the toilets. I've done it all. And I've seen it. Week after week, we get to a point in worship and then we back away and we just let the moment pass. Why? Because it gets too real. It gets too personal. 
Because there's a point in worship that you have to push past the superficial and really get honest and intimate with God. Allow God to move in the deepest parts of you. But too many of us have walled God out of those parts. So we just have to step back and let Him go. David, King David, was maybe the most passionate worshiper in all the Bible. What did he say? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. Bless Him with everything that's in me. Bless His holy name. Everything. Not just the pretty stuff, not just the academic stuff. Do you think David held anything back? I can point to you where he didn't didn't hold nothing, not even clothes back from worshiping God. The Psalms, I'm not suggesting that we worship naked, by the way. I'm just saying so passionate was he for the things of God that he didn't let anything hold him back. See, the Psalms, many of which were written by David, have endured today, not just as part of the Word, but as masterpieces of literature because of the raw, unfiltered passion they express. The the overwhelming joy, the smothering sadness, the paralyzing fear, the humbling gratitude, the mountain-moving faith, the writer's are expressing their deepest needs and their feelings, their hopes, their hurts, all with an emotional honesty that we're not even approaching today. Jesus said the kingdom has to be received as a little child. Didn't he? You want to come to my kingdom, you got to become as a little child. Children are emotionally honest. Right? I mean... If they're happy, every part of them is happy. Right? They got little clapping hands. They got little smiley faces, little dancy feet. When they're sad, every part of them is sad, right? Slumped shoulders, little frowny faces, little whiny voices. Completely emotionally honest. Now listen, there's a mature that has to happen. Obviously, adults can't walk around like that. But why can't we be that honest with ourselves about how we feel? Why does emotion make us so uncomfortable in the church anyway? You can feel it. You can feel it when somebody gets more emotional than everybody else. They're like, oh, it sucks all the air out of the room. Right? What, what is that about? Why? Could it be that it serves to remind us that we're not experiencing God at that level in our lives? That we're not experiencing anything at that level in our lives? Because we're numb. I say, John, I'm a committed follower of Jesus. Listen, I, I understand that. But I'm at a point in my life where I'm asking some questions. How can we say we're committed to what does not move us? I know believers who are, who are more moved by college football or reality TV than the presence of God. Grown men will cry when their team wins 
or loses on Saturday, but will stand in stoic silence on Sunday, just waiting for me to shut up so they can get to the next thing on their list. If you refuse to allow God to affect your emotions, you're cutting off a part of you that Jesus bled and died for. Heart, mind, and soul. That's how we have to love Him. That's how we have to serve Him. All of ourselves. The Old Testament sacrifices were complete sacrifices. They offered the whole animal. Romans 12 calls us to be living sacrifices. Praise God, don't have to do animal sacrifices anymore. We have to be the sacrifice, but we have to live as a complete sacrifice. Every part of ourselves offered to the kingdom of God. See, too many times we'll say and do the right things because we can do those with our minds, but we withhold the deepest, most intimate parts of ourselves. Maybe that's what Jesus means when He said that one day we will stand before Him and there will be people who who call Him Lord and who tell Him the things they did in His name, but He's going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. You never let me in. You never let me have the most personal parts of you. Listen, there's a biblical word called zeal. And we don't, I mean, you know, it's 2018. Ain't nobody says zeal anymore. It's kind of a King James word. It's better translated passionate commitment. Passionate commitment. It's what Jesus was feeling in the temple in John chapter 2 that we just read. It's what, it's what caused him to clean it out. As a matter of fact, he did it twice, not at the beginning of his ministry that we just read, and then again the week before he was crucified. He figured, ah, they're going to crucify me anyway. I might as well clean it out one more time before I go. The zeal of the Lord, the passionate commitment of the Lord had gotten him. You see that combination? Passion and commitment. It's not just a feeling. It's a deep emotional response that leads to action. It motivates change. It drives you far past the limits of an emotional stir. It gives you the wherewithal to endure hardship because you believe in the cause or in the calling or in the revelation or the whatever it was that sparked your zeal. It amplifies your effectiveness. It's the contagious part of your life and your message, your vision, your call to action. Whatever that is. The most important things in life are more caught than taught. Academic understanding is only going to take you so far. And that's where I'm afraid too many in the church are today. We know things about God. We just have no zeal for Him. No passionate commitment towards Him or His Word or His work. I hear people ask, why don't we see the signs and the wonders, the miracles of the Word of God that we read about there? I believe we will see them when we experience the kind of desperation and passion and commitment that are seen in those people. 
It's not just in, we want, the, we want the prayer, don't we want the magic formula? Give me the prayer to pray that I can repeat the words and God will be obligated to move on my behalf. That's not how that works. Listen, passion is not just about the height of the response, okay? It's not just about swinging on the chandeliers. It's not all of that. You've seen the YouTube video, if you hadn't, you need to. Where a dude jumps up, runs, slings his jacket off, and jumps in the baptistry for no apparent reason. It's not, it's not about that. It's not the height of the response. It's the depth of the effect. Some of you are never going to be over the top with your emotional responses. I get that. That's pretty much the way I am. I, I understand that. You had a ball game, they score, you're just like, yeah, baby. I mean, that's about it, Right? You're just not that guy. That's, that's not even what it's about. It's not about what's going on on the outside as much as what's happening on the inside. It's what's changing in here that will eventually work its way out. But we can't connect with God on the shallow end and expect it to change us deeply. We put up roadblocks to God's work in our lives and God's spirit. When it gets too personal, we pull back and we put the brakes on. I believe that's why so few Americans are, are experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To the point now that many in, in American Pentecostal churches are not even teaching it as a doctrine because they, they can't, they're not seeing it happen in their churches anyway, so they just ignore it and just let's just ignore it and hopefully nobody will bring it up. When you balance that with the fact that worldwide, Pentecostal churches are the fastest growing churches in the world, and you realize something is wrong. Why such a drop off? Why has it become so hard for people here? It took me years before I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It, it took like three seconds in the Bible. What is that? Jesus said somewhere around... John 14, the Holy Spirit will be a river of living water. Isn't that what it said? A river of living water flowing out of your belly, out of your innermost being. Well, that would be the problem then. Because most of us don't let Him move there in our innermost being. We close that part. i got to bring this message to a close while you're still here. Um, why don't you all come? I don't know how well I've done at communicating what's in my heart. But let me just ask you this. What would happen if we as believers would trust God with every part of ourselves? What would happen? What would happen if we let Him move in the deepest places? Let Him heal. Let Him purify. Let Him refine. You see, I've been on this journey for a couple of years. I, I didn't really have the words to define it until a couple of weeks ago. And John, why are you so passionate about this this, this morning? Because I've been the chief of sinners in this area. I've been there and done that. I know what it's like to walk around numb. 
I've been telling you that for years from this pool, but don't act like this a surprise if you've been here for a while. People have commented recently about the change that they've seen in me. The way I preach, the way I lead. They want to know what happened. What in the world happened to you, Butler? I'll tell you. Finally reached a place where I told God I was sick of me. Where I took the brakes off. Where I told him I wanted to feel something. Not just know something. Where I need to experience some emotion in my life. Because I'd spent most of my adult life learning to stuff and suppress every feeling that I had. In the church or outside the church. Because that's the culture of the American church. But I knew I needed to experience God. In, in every part of my being. Now here's a level of honesty that you may not appreciate, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I don't think I've ever said this from the pulpit. Two years ago, it was the summer, it was June of 2016, I came to the realization I was pastoring a church that I wouldn't attend. You know what was wrong? We're numb. We were numb. We were going through the motions of church. But nothing deep was happening on the inside. Nothing going on below the surface. So I went into the woods to pray. And I got honest with God about who we were at that time and about who I was. Because nothing changes in a church until it changes in a pastor. So I knew I had to be the first to change. I am far from perfect. I have not arrived. I am not even close to where I need to be. But I am experiencing a depth in my relationship with God that I have never experienced before. I am finally learning to love the Lord my God with all of my heart and my soul and my mind. I'm learning to allow Him to move me and to affect me in an area of my life that I've always tried to suffocate. And it's affected my marriage, and it's affected my friendships, and it's affected my, my fathering, and it's affected every area of my life. You say, John, I'm, I'm afraid to open myself up to, to, to feel because I, I'm afraid I won't just feel joy and worship and, and, and all that stuff, and I'm afraid I'm going to feel pain too. Oh, yeah, yeah, you will. That's exactly what's going to happen. Because you can't filter the bad out of the good. That's not how that works. It's an all or nothing proposition. But how do you know you're alive if you don't feel something? What good is living if you're numb? We pray that you've been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast with Pastor John Butler. You can hear today's message in its entirety by visiting our website at covenantlifewestga.org. 
You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.